From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. Hey, Tremendous Tuesday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Father Wade Menezes is in the house, so if you've got a question for Father, grab one of these open phone lines. The number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is one 205 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one 271 2985 and you can always send us an email that email address is openline at ewtn.com i'm jack williams coming to you live once again today from the 141st supreme convention of the knights of columbus in beautiful orlando florida we encourage you as we always do to support your local knights of columbus chapter and our host is he is every single Tuesday, Father Wade Menezes. How are you? I'm doing great, Jack. This Tuesday, all the Fathers of Mercy, many of whom are second, third, and even fourth degree knights, are on retreat this week for our annual canonical retreat. So I got a reprieve this hour from my Superior General, Father Wilton, uh, to do the show. So I'm very pleased about that. You know, it's hard to keep 28 black robes uh, who, by nature, are itinerant missionary preachers quiet for five full days. So it's quite a little miracle going on here right now at the Fathers of Mercy. <laughs> awesome. Well, they'll, I'm sure some of them will be discerning one thing or another, and we talk a lot about discernment. Yes. And um, it, it maybe there's a little more to it than we might initially uh, uh, think. You know, I know uh, there are probably different ways for different situations that one goes about that, and you want to talk a little bit about that today. I do, very much. I want to uh, share with our listeners today, Jack, six principles of discernment that come to us uh, from Monsignor Charles Pope, who I think personally is one of, one of the greatest uh, modern-day current writers right now uh, with his various blogs and books that he's put out. And I came across this actually older article by him titled Six Principles of Discernment. Uh, it can be found online simply enough by putting uh, Monsignor Charles Pope, Six Principles of Discernment. It'll come right up uh, as, an, as the first option. And uh, he, he says, first of all, the discernment itself is, is a time-honored practice in the Christian tradition. Uh, it could do with or deal with one's spiritual life. It could deal with discernment about one's state in life, you know, discerning marriage or religious life, for example. Uh, discernment can deal with whether or not to take that new job opportunity that's come your way. Uh, and also, uh, you know, something like, like a new investment opportunity that's come up. So, so what are the principles of discernment to help us, uh, help guide us through these life decision processes? That's, that's the question. Um, again, in, in essence, discernment is a decision-making process. That's what, that's what these six principles are about to help make the right decision that honors primordially the, the place of God's will in our lives. Uh, this point is of the utmost importance. Uh, it is an interior search that seeks to align our own will with the will of God in order precisely to learn what God is calling us to 
or what God is calling us to do. So I want to just comb through these six principles to help us discern life decisions, to help us uh, discern whether or not to do this or that, right? The first one that Monsignor Pope gives us is, principle number one, is one state in life. He states, there are many different states in life, some permanent, some long-lasting, some only temporary. We may, for example, be single, married, a priest, diocesan or religious, uh, a religious sister or brother, young, old, healthy, or fragile in regards to health. Uh, We may be a student, we may be a parent, we may be rich or poor. Being clear about our current state in life can help us discern if a call to something is truly from God or not. Uh, Again, regardless of what this decision process involves, again, a new job or or a a, a change of state in life and vocation, etc. For example, a young woman may sense a call to spend extended hours before the Blessed Sacrament, Of itself, this is surely a good and fine thing. But what if she is the mother of four young children? Would God ask this of her? Probably not. Perhaps one hour uh, a week of Eucharistic adoration would be more in keeping with her state in life as a mother of four. On the other hand, a single woman may be free to do this, that is a daily holy hour, for example, and it may even be part of her learning of her vocation to the state of religious life, to become a sister, active or contemplative. Other things being equal, it is more likely that we can be open to this call being of God in her case, that, that this is indeed God calling the single woman to that, to strengthen her spiritual life. Uh, principle number two is one's natural gifts and talents. It is a clear fact, Monsignor Pope says, that people have different combination of virtues and talents, gifts and skills. In discerning the will of God regarding a course of action, or of accepting uh, an offer or an opportunity of some sort, we ought to carefully ponder if it will make good sense based on our personal skills and our personal talents. Uh, He says this, this is Monsignor Pope talking now, he says, God has surely equipped us for some things and not others. I am a reasonably good teacher of adults, he says, I am not a good teacher of young children. Thus, in being offered opportunities uh, within my priesthood to teach or preach, I am much more open to the possibility that God wants it if it is for adults. If I am asked to address young children for more than five minutes, he states, I am quite clear that God is not asking. (laughs) Principle number three, personal desire. Desire as a principle of discernment surprises some people. We are often suspicious of our desires and not without reason. When it comes to most things regarding the moral law and doctrine, our feeling and desires are largely irrelevant and should not be determinative of understanding God's will in that particular case. For example, That we should not commit adultery remains the clear will of God, no matter how we feel about it, pro or con. That Jesus is God is a true truth, uh, no matter what our feelings are about that fact. But when it comes to discerning between various courses of action that are both good, such as marriage and priesthood, feelings and desires do matter and may help indicate the will of God for us in a particular circumstance. For when God wants us to move in a direction of something good, he most often inspires some level of desire for it. He leads us to appreciate that it is good, attractive, and desirable, and helps leads us to it. Number four, organic development of the thing. This is a, an important process of discernment. This principle simply articulates that God most often moves us in stages rather than in sudden and dramatic ways. While it is true in most lives that there are times of dramatic change, loss, and gain, it is more usual for God to lead us gently and in stages toward what it is he wants for us and what he wants us to do. 
Hence, in discernment, uh, it is valuable to ask, does this change, does this course of action, uh, quote-unquote, uh, seem to build on what God has generally already been doing in my life? Is there some continuity at work uh, if I move in this direction regarding this thing? Does moving into the future in this particular way make sense based on how and where God has already led me thus far? So some great questions there. Principle number five, personal serenity. This is another big one, important one. When God leads us, the usual result is serenity, that is peace, joy. In my own priestly life, Monsignor Pope says, I have at times been asked to move from one assignment to another. At such moments, there is great sadness since I had to say goodbye to people I greatly love. And yet, when it is God's will that the time has come for moving on, in spite of the sadness, I also feel an inner peace, a serenity, a joy about taking on the new assignment. Serenity should not be underestimated as a tool for discernment, for it often happens that to ponder change is stressful, even fearful. But beneath the turmoil of difficult decisions, we must listen carefully for a deeper serenity that signals God's will for us. And number six, conformity to sacred scripture and tradition. Some may think that this principle should be at the top of the list, and you are free to put it there if you'd like. But I prefer to say that the word of God and the teachings of the church has the last word in any decision that we make. For it may well be that one goes through principles like these and feels quite certain of a course of action or of a certain insight. But the final and most important step is to be sure that our insight or conclusion squares well with the Lord's stated revelation in sacred scripture and church teaching. That would be of extreme importance. So six principles of discernment there, Jack. Uh, one's state in life, one's gifts and talents, one's personal desire, organic development, personal serenity, conformity to scripture and tradition all from Monsignor Charles Pope. I'd like our callers today to, to give a witness about whether or not they went through a discernment process about something that involved some or all of these principles and give a witness call about that very fact. I also want to urge our listeners to go to fathersofmercy.com and pull up uh, my own how to discern if God is speaking to you and if you are properly discerning his will. My six principles from about three years ago that I'm glad to say uh, beautifully coalesce with Monsignor Pope's six principles— even though I wasn't aware of this article of his. I think that's the Holy Spirit at work. We're just the instruments, but he moves us as he wills. huh? So how to discern if God is speaking to you and if you are properly discerning his will, my own six principles found at fathersofmercy.com. If on the search bar you simply put discerning his will, discerning his will will come up as a blog ready to print out on your home printer. And Monsignor Pope's six principles of discernment. Give us a call. Tell us if you've gone through a discernment process with some of these principles or all of them. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's EWTN's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's one 833 288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. Grab one of these open phone lines, 833-288-EWTN. As you can probably hear, they have released the masses. Uh, Supreme Knight Patrick Kelly's address is just finished and uh, 
the uh, auditorium uh, directly across from our broadcast location has just been um, dismissed and all of these wonderful people here at the 141st Supreme Convention of the Knights of Columbus are making their way to their next activities and we wish them well. Um, we head to the phones now, and first up is Susie in the Commonwealth of Virginia. She's listening on the EWTN app. Susie, you are on with Father Wade Menezes. Thank you. Thank you, Father. You're welcome. Uh, my question is, well, I don't have a discernment kind of witness. I, I think part of my issue here is I might not have been discerning in this, but... Um, so I attended my neighbor's wedding. Uh, she and her husband, they're both Catholic, not really practicing as far as I, I know, but um, it was, you know, in their yard with a um, friend who had a, a marriage a license to marry. And um, I've heard a lot of different things. There's some gray area. I'm just not sure. I just wonder, uh, did, I, did I do something sinful by attending their wedding, or is there is there a definitive answer for Catholics on this topic? Yeah, well, great great question. So uh, you you told our call screener that that the wedding was of two Catholics, I presume fallen away Catholics. Uh, it was in their backyard, officiated by a buddy of, of one of them, either the bride or the groom. So um, there's three major things right there. They're both Catholic. Uh, they're, they're getting married in a backyard, and they're not being married by a priest or deacon, an official witness of, of, the, of the church. Now, keep in mind that it is possible for a Catholic to get a proper dispensation from their bishop to marry outside the Catholic church in another church. For example, if a young man is marrying a young woman who's, who's a, a, a Baptist and her father or grandfather, let's say, is the pastor of the Baptist church and she wants her father or grandfather to marry them, uh, the, the Catholic party can seek a dispensation. In that case, it would still be considered a sacramental wedding. Uh, uh, an official witness of the church would be present, uh, either a priest or deacon, um, and uh, could be there to witness it, and it could be considered sacramental. So in that case, all the Catholic relatives can go to that wedding, that sacramental wedding that takes place literally inside the Baptist physical church. But that's because a proper dispensation took place. It doesn't sound like a proper dispensation took place here because the church does not permit uh, outdoor uh, weddings because of of the necessity of the, ch uh, the, the reality, I should say, of the house of God meaning something, quote, in quote. It's symbolic of the heaven that we hope to uh, attain one day. This is why a church is called to be beautiful, for example. It gives us a glimpse of the heavenly realities, realities that await us. So uh, it doesn't sound like this wedding was, was Catholic. I would have tried to have witnessed to both parties uh, ahead of time to try to encourage them to, to marry in the church. And then once you do that, you've done your part. Uh, you can't you know, you can't force them to do what they don't want to do, but you've done your part of evangelization. You've lived your baptism, your confirmation, sustained by regular Eucharist and confession. You've, d you've lived up to your evangelization call to witness to your Catholic friends who are fallen away from the church, to, to come back to the church and to marry in the church so that they can have a grace-filled sacramental wedding instead of merely a civil wedding, uh, a civil marriage. The, you, your goal was to help them find a sacramental marriage. Um, remember, in order, you asked whether or not you sin by going. In order to sin, you have to will it, okay? And depending on whether or not it's grave matter or not, 
uh, it's mortal sin or venial sin. Grave matter, fullness of knowledge, and done with deliberate consent of your will are the three elements for a mortal sin to be present. Again, grave matter, done with fullness of knowledge, and done with deliberate consent of your will. If all three are present, you have a mortal sin. If uh, any one of those three is missing, you have a venial sin. So you would have to discern that. I would say that it does constitute grave matter that two Catholics married outside the church. But then again, they, they may not realize that they were doing bad because their own intellects have not been informed about the teaching of the church. So there's all kinds of things here that go into play. Um, you can have something that's objectively mortal, always and everywhere objectively mortal, like adultery uh, or marrying outside the church, let's say, but they subjectively don't know it. Subjectively, it's only venial because their intellects have not been informed that that adultery is against the moral law or that marrying outside the church is against the moral law. Uh, and, and today, with today's culture and, and the young generations coming up, believe me, some young people do not know that fornication, relations between the unmarried, or adultery, where at least one party is married, they don't know it's against the moral law. They've never been informed, faith-wise or intellectually, that it's wrong. So you would have to discern whether or not how much you knew at the time that you went to the wedding. And if your conscience is pricked by that, just mention it simply in your next confession, without a lot of great or graphic detail. Father, I went to the wedding of two Catholics that married outside the church, outside, and I should have had a better discernment in that process, and instead I should have tried to evangelize them better, and I'm sorry I went to the wedding. That's all you need to say. There's no need for great or graphic detail or a 15-minute explanation to your confessor. Remember, confession is simply about kind and number, and it'll give you great, great comfort and peace of mind knowing that you've confessed it. Great question. Thank you so much. How's that, Susie? Yeah, that's, that's really helpful. Thank you so much. Thank you for your call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Next stop is Grants Pass, Oregon. Candace is a first-time listener listening on His Mercy Radio. Candace, you're on with Father Wade Menezes. Hi there. Hello, Candace. Thank you for your call today. Hi. So I just heard your six principles of discernment. And uh, I pretty much just turned on this radio station like two minutes before it came on. You know, just right when I got in my car. I'm on my way down to uh, Medford, Oregon from Shailen, Washington to go see a good friend of mine who is a really good sister in Christ. And um, on my way down, I've been spending this time worshiping God. To go and deep prayer with him about a situation that happened to me earlier this week that resulted in a little bit of spiritual defeat. And God's been really teaching me to just, you know, rest in him and trust in him, rest in my faith, you know. And when things of spiritual defeat nature come upon me, to get a hold of that thought and bring it to him. And so I was praying to him for discernment about something that was going on with me and how to discern it. Not that I want to change it, not that I want him to change it, that I want to learn from whatever he's trying to teach me. And I am just so in awe of his just great power, you know, that this this was the sermon that I randomly came to, and it was the answer to my prayer just hours later. Well, and beautiful. So I, have, I, I have to call and tell you guys, because I'm just, like, God is so good, and I just... I, I got to share it with people, you know? 
Well, thank you, Candace, so much for your call. And it's a great witness call, having just turned on EWTN and not aware of the program. You know, every day, Monday through Friday, we have open line with a different host. I happen to be uh, the host of Tuesday's show. Um, but uh, tune in every day. And of course, EWTN Radio is 24-7, 365. So uh, welcome to EWTN Radio. And we hope you listen more according to your schedule permitting it. And thank you so much for letting us know that, that my springboard topic today, The Six Principles of Discernment by Monsignor Charles Pope, uh, greatly helped you with with that discernment process uh, that you came into contact with earlier this week, and now you can bring that to its uh, uh, completion and and uh, whatever the particular situation is, per se, that you're referring to. And also, I want to encourage you to go to fathersofmercy.com, my community, the Fathers of Mercy. Our website is fathersofmercy.com, and at the homepage, just click on the magnifying glass, and when you do that, a search bar comes up in the middle of the, of the homepage, and just type uh, discerning his will discerning his will. And the name of the article is, or my blog post is, how to discern if God is speaking to you and if you are properly discerning his will. And those six principles beautifully coalesce with the six principles of Monsignor Pope. So thank you so much, Candice, uh, for your call today from Oregon. God bless you now. Much appreciate, guys. God bless. Go right ahead, Candace. Oh, what's that? Go, go right ahead. Oh, I just thank you so much, and God bless. Thank you. We appreciate the phone call today. Next next stop for us is Ontario, Canada. Anthony is in Ontario listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Anthony, you're on with Father Wade. Hello, Father Wade. Hello, Anthony. Thank you for your call today from Ontario. Thank you. Um, we have a situation that's arisen. My brother has arranged for his wife to undergo maid tomorrow. We have told him that maid is against the Catholic Church, that uh, life is sacred from conception to natural death. Um, He wants me to take communion to her, and I'm quite reluctant to do that, Father. Now, I don't know all of the details with respect to my sister-in-law's medical condition, other than she has extremely poor quality of life, and she has had um, a couple of doctors, apparently, who has approved this procedure. But we're, um, we're actually appalled uh, at the thought of it, even, Father. So I'm really concerned, and I'm wondering if you could advise me with respect to taking communion to her. Yeah, that would not be permitted because it's being done willfully, uh, and and we c- we could not partake of that uh, in that sense, especially dealing with the most blessed sacrament, the most holy Eucharist, where the other six sacraments effect the grace they signify. The Eucharist not only does that effect the grace it signifies, but the Eucharist is what it signifies. It is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. And while the intent might be good. Uh, of the person who's uh, who's um, ordered the maid, the medically uh, assisted in, in, in do suicide, um, that while their intention may be good to want to give the the loved one the Eucharist, uh, that would not be permitted in such a case. Uh, it's one of the tolerated side effects of doing the evil. You're doing the evil, and the sacrament cannot be uh, received because of it. Um, and it's a tolerated side effect. The, the Church very much wants to give you the loved one who's dying the Eucharist. But because of you who have ordered the suicide, the, the euthanasia, because of you, the Church cannot do it. So the Church is not denying the sacrament, the Church is deferring 
the sacrament until the, the, the euthanasia suicide is called off. This is what we call a tolerated side effect of the evil act. The church very much wants to do the opposite, uh, give, give the blessed sacrament, but she can't. Her hand is forced to defer it uh, until the one ordering the euthanasia uh, calls off their plan. Now, you're in Ontario, you're in Canada. I, I'm not familiar with the Canadian uh, bishop's website, but I am uh, familiar with the USCCB, okay? Uh, the United States uh, Conference of Catholic Bishops. Um, and I want you to simply put on the search bar USCCB Assisted Suicide and Euthanasia. USCCB Assisted Suicide and Euthanasia. And all the resources are there giving this church teaching. Uh, under a heading titled Church Documents and Teachings. I hope that helps you out. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's EWTN's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Once again, coming to you live from the 141st Supreme Convention of the Knights of Columbus in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Next up is uh, Rebecca just down the road in Tampa, Florida, a first-time caller listening on the Ave Maria radio app. Rebecca, welcome to the program. You're on with Father Wade. Hi, Father Wade. So I had a fellow parishioner come to me the other day. Um, she was upset because we're not receiving um, Holy Communion in both species. And um, I tried to explain the typical uh, thing to her about how Christ is present, full body, blood, soul, and divinity in both species. Um, went down that road with her. But she kept on going back to um, the scripture um, where, you know, Jesus says, this is, this is my uh, body and this is my blood, and she said, you know, why, who can, who can we be, who, who is the Church to change um, what Christ told us to do? So she, she just doesn't understand how in the world we could only receive um, Holy Communion in uh, the species of bread and be following what Christ told us to do. Well, because the Church has uh, uh, ju- jurisdiction, jurisdiction over... over uh, the, 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 the Church has jurisdiction over the uh, reality of the seven sacraments and preparation for them, um, administration of them, and also making sure the person is adequately prepared to receive them. So that's the answer to your question, how could the Church do this when Scripture says otherwise? Uh, the, the Church is the Bride of Christ, and through her magisterial teachings, um, especially through the major dicasteries or congregations in Rome, one of which is the congregation uh, of, of the divine worship of, uh, of divine worship and the administration of the sacraments. Um, one of those dicasteries focuses just on the reality of the the rituals of the sacraments, and so the church has jurisdiction over these realities, and so that's the immediate answer to her question. She she either accepts that authority or she doesn't. Um, you, it sounds like you already explained to her the church's doctrine that the blood contains both the body and blood, 
and that the, uh, the precious body contains the body and blood, and the precious blood con- contains the body and blood. Um, and this is very well spelled out in a, in a document, again, from the USCCB, titled Norms for the Distribution and Reception of Holy Communion Under Both Kinds in the Diocese of the United States. You can find it at usccb.org. Again, Norms for the Distribution and Reception of Holy Communion Under Both Kinds in the Diocese of the United States of America. Long title, but worth pulling up and printing out as a PDF document for your friend, because it's a great, great catechetical document, not only on what the Church teaches about each species being present under each species, okay? The, the precious blood contains the precious body, and the precious body contains the precious blood. It not only gives that doctrine, but it gives the history uh, of both species being distributed to the people that is actually quite ancient. And the different centuries where this practice change out of respect and, and uh, careful distribution of it, and then how it was reintroduced following the Second Vatican Council. So it's also a very historical document, um, and it would be worth you witnessing to her about it, because in this same document it makes it very clear that the Church also has the right to distribute uh, also just under the one species. You know, ask your friend about celiacs. You know, if a celiac can't receive the precious body because they're, they're very allergic to the wheaten host, consecrated host, and they receive only the precious blood, does that how, somehow, some way lessen the efficaciousness of their Holy Communion? Of course it doesn't. Um, so not be, no health issue is going to be able to do that. So it, when, you, when juxtaposed against the reality of the doctrine. So again, norms for the distribution and reception of Holy Communion under both kinds in the Diocese of the United States of America, found at usccb.org. Uh, if you didn't write down that title now, as I've said it the, the third time, just go back and listen to the podcast at this part of the hour, um, about 33 minutes after the hour, after we began the show, and you'll, you'll find me saying that uh, on the posted uh, podcast, and you can write down the title um, then, and then find it uh, easily enough at usccb.org. But I want to thank you for witnessing to your friend and giving her the doctrine about the different species and how each one contains the other. Uh, and then it sounds like just a, a little bit of stubbornness on her part after that of not wanting to um, accept the Church's teaching of the Church herself having jurisdiction over the rituals of the sacraments and what's taught about each individual sacrament, the three sacraments sacraments of initiation, the two sacraments of union, and the two sacraments of healing. My gosh, if we didn't have the Church watching out for the ritual uh, administration, for the preparation of the sacraments, and discerning who can receive this one and who can't receive that one of the seven, and, and why not, or why, uh, it would be a mess out there. The, the sacraments would mean nothing. And, and I've always said on Open Line Tuesday, the sacraments are not lollipops. We don't hand them out at will just because we want to. The sacraments are serious business. A sacrament is a literal meeting with the Lord Jesus Christ. And with the Eucharist, a literal meeting with the Lord Jesus Christ par excellence. So uh, print out that document for her and uh, give her that witness, uh, Rebecca, and, uh, and, then, and read it first yourself, and then say, you know, be there with her, be present with her. Read it yourself first, and then say, you know, I'd love to sit down with you as we comb through this, and we can talk it out loud. Um, and then there's also another point here I've talked about before on the show. We want to be careful as baptized Catholic Christians to not put ourselves supra-ecclesia, 
above the church and her teachings. And nor do we want to be sub-ecclesia, a, a self-loathing attitude that puts ourselves under the teachings of the church. Like, for example, oh, I could never, ever, ever be worthy to receive Holy Communion. That's why I never, never go, because I'm just not worthy. Well, that's putting yourself sub-ecclesia. Um, under the church. Uh, what your friend is doing by kind of demanding with a capital D communion being distributed under, under both species, otherwise it's somehow not truly and fully efficacious unless you receive both species, she's kind of putting herself supra-ecclesia, uh, above the church, which is kind of uh, prideful, you know, it really is. It's kind of prideful. And so is the self-loathing. The subiclasia is also kind of prideful, because in both cases, the person is putting themselves first. Our goal is to be in between, which is cum ecclesia, with the church. Does that kind of help you out, um, Rebecca? I'm so, thank- yeah, I'm so thankful that you gave the name of that document, because I had looked online at a couple of things myself, but it really didn't give me the information I was looking for. But this, you said, has the history and that's really what I was looking for, so I'm really appreciative. Thank you so much. You're most welcome. Thank you for your call today. Still a couple of open phone lines for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Next up is Patty in San Antonio, Texas, listening on Guadalupe Radio. Patty, you're on with Father Wade. Hi, Father Wade. I just wanted to uh, kind of just Praise God that the Holy Spirit really does confirm. Uh, This morning I was like, well, for a week now I've been discerning or trying to discern about a job opportunity that I have, and I'm just, usually I'll rush in, but I've been real hesitant, trying to ask God to help me understand and to hear Him. And this morning I was just like, how? How do I discern your word? I I can't hear you. And uh, part of that as well... um, I was thinking maybe I just need to be in adoration as long as possible. So it's just beautiful to hear and turn on the radio and hear you say, like, well, if you're a mom of four, which I am, um, you don't need to be in adoration for a long time, but an hour is good and an hour a week, which is really beautiful to confirm that. And then as well as you being able to confirm the seven uh, beautiful steps of discernment and how to help you discern better. So I just, I just really wanted to praise God. So that was amazing. Well, great, Patty. Thank you so much. You're the second caller this hour that's come on and says, I was listening right at the right time. In fact, the the person before you uh, that that called first about this particular uh, reality said that they'd never heard of EWN Radio at all, and they just happened to turn it on just before the the show began, about 10 minutes before the show began. So uh, you're the second caller to say that the six principles of discernment by Monsignor Pope have really helped you out. Again, one state in life needs to be taken into consideration when making the decision, one's gifts and talents, uh, one's personal desire, because God doesn't want us to be miserable, right? Number four is organic development. Does the thought process about the issue at hand develop accordingly over time? Um, has, has the company called you back three times, really hoping that you'll consider, for example? Uh, number five is personal serenity. Uh, does it really bring you peace when you think about it? And principle six, uh, conformity to scripture and tradition. And that's very, very important. So Monsignor Charles Pope, six principles of discernment. Just search those words online and you'll find the article right away from actually 2012. It's the first time I've come across it. And I read a lot of Monsignor Pope. Um, and then also go to fathersofmercy.com, uh, Patty, for my own uh, six principles of discernment. I've titled it, How to Discern if God is Speaking to You and if You are Properly Discerning His Will. Uh, There's six uh, points that I give there, and I close it all up with uh, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, quote, God's will, nothing more, 
nothing less. Uh, God's will, nothing more, nothing less. Uh, it's very, very important, uh, I think, to think like the saints. And here we have one of our own American saints, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, telling us the importance of God's will. Thank you so much, Patty, for a great witness call. So glad you're tuning in today. Hopefully you'll tune in every Tuesday and every day for Open Line, uh, which is on at 2 o'clock through 3 o'clock Central Time, uh, 3 p.m. Eastern till 4, five days a week with a different host. Thank you so much. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Still time for your calls at 833-288-3986. We head next to Hastings, Michigan. Aaron is listening at EWTN.com. Aaron, you're on with Father Wade. Hi, Father. Thanks for taking my call. Um, The question I have is how does the indulgence um, situation work in general? Okay, great question. So uh, an indulgence is a removal either partially or fully of the temporal punishment due to already forgiven mortal and venial sin. Why does the temporal punishment remain after we have the mortal sin or venial sin forgiven? Because sin is messy, namely through its four categorical consequences of personal, social, ecclesial, and cosmic. And we see these peppered throughout Scripture, including the Old Testament. Um, So when when a person sins, they work against themselves personally. For example, if it's venial sin, they constrict their virtue. If it's uh, a mortal sin, they cut off uh, supernaturally uh, the reality at, at a supernatural level as opposed to a natural level of the virtues working in their life until the mortal sin is confessed. The venial sin constricts it. So that, but the point is they work against themselves personally. When they sin, they work against themselves socially. Why is it that their relationship with others becomes adversely affected through their regular sinning? Huh? Well, there's social consequences. We know from the book of Genesis that, that man is not meant to be alone. Uh, this is why God made him a, a, a complementary helpmate. Uh, Jesus gives us the Our Father in the, in the first person plural. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. Not give me this day my daily bread and forgive me my trespasses and all those who have trespassed against me. No, that would be the first person singular. That, that's not how Jesus gave us the Our Father prayer. So we're social by nature and our social relationships become adversely affected by our personal sin. But we also work against ourselves personally through our personal sins. Thirdly is ecclesially. Uh, the church, the body of Christ itself is disrupted uh, by, by an individual sin, right? Uh, look at the priestly scandals, for example, and how they've rocked the church, but also look at the, the lay scandals and how they've rocked the church, right? Uh, financial scandals, for example, other sexual scandals of laity in the church, and, and also, again, the priestly scandals, how they've rocked the church. And by the way, make no bones about it, uh, the devil's after priests, and I'll tell you exactly why. No priest, no mass, no mass, no Eucharist, no Eucharist, no Jesus truly present, no Jesus truly present, no church which is his bride, no church which is his bride, no vehicle of salvation, and no vehicle of salvation, no salvation, and no salvation means only one thing, and it begins with a D, damnation. So the devil's after priests. Pray for your priests, just as we pray for laity. Uh, we priests pray for our laity. Please, laity, pray for your priests. Huh? So ecclesially, the 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 the, the 
the, the body of Christ itself, the church, is disrupted by sin. And then, of course, cosmically, and we see this, you know, in the Garden of Eden in the book of Genesis. Uh, uh, cosmically, there, there's, um, there's frustration of the cosmos caused by sin. Uh, we see this with Sodom and Gomorrah as well. Now, God doesn't cause these things, but he permits them to happen. Why? Because he works with things according to their natures. So this is what I mean when I say the New Testament and the Old Testament uh, are, are filled with examples of all four categories of the, of the four categorical consequences of sin. By the way, number 1469 of the Catechism talks about these, personal, social, ecclesial, and cosmic. So the temporal punishment remains because of these four categorical consequences, even though we've confessed the sin, mortal or venial, and we receive absolution for it, the guilt is removed through the absolution from the priest, but the temporal punishment remains because of those four categorical consequences, personal, social, ecclesial, and cosmic. What the indulgence does, either fully or partially, is remove the temporal punishment. How beautiful is that, right? Uh, Here's the definition of indulgence right out of the catechism. An indulgence is the remission before God of the temporal punishment due to sin, whose guilt has already been forgiven in the sacrament of penance. A properly disposed member of the Christian faithful can obtain an indulgence under certain prescribed conditions through the help of the church, which, as the minister of redemption, dispenses and applies with her authority the treasury of the satisfactions of Christ and the saints. Uh, from Christ, from his paschal mystery, his passion, death, resurrection, and ascension in heaven, and from the saints, based on the heroic virtue that they, that they exhibited and lived while still living on earth. Uh, an indulgence is partial if it removes part of the temporal punishment due to sin, or plenary if it removes all of the temporal punishment due to sin. So it's, it's a great gift, the temporal puni- the, the, the uh, indulgence, either partial or plenary. And we can receive one uh, a plenary indulgence a day uh, for ourselves or for a deceased person, known or unknown to us. What you cannot do is obtain a, a, a plenary or partial indulgence um, for another living person. Why? Because they're still living. That's why. Uh, they got to they gotta work out their own salvation, Philippians 2.12. So look at it this way, uh, Aaron. When our Lord died, he left everything to the church in regards to her dispensing from the treasury of merits, one for us through Christ, through his paschal mystery, the four-event event of his passion, death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven, and from the saints who participated in that paschal mystery and who lived a life of heroic virtue, the, the canonized saints of the church, okay? Either formally canonized or not formally canonized. The fact is their, their soul is in heaven. They're a saint. We benefit from them as well. They're the members of the church triumphant, praying for the church militant still living on earth. Um, and the reason why you can offer your plenary or partial indulgence for the holy souls in purgatory who are known as the church suffering or the church penitent is because they can no longer merit for themselves, but we can help alleviate their suffering through a plenary or partial indulgence. So remember I said you can uh, apply a plenary or partial indulgence to yourself for your own temporal punishment, still do for your already forgiven mortal or venial sin, or you can apply it to a deceased person known or unknown to you. So I try once a month to celebrate a mass for all the holy souls in purgatory, and may it lessen their 
temporal punishment. Um, you know, we, we set aside a calendar day, uh, November 2nd every year, as a commemoration of all holy souls, known as the church suffering, also known again as the church penitent. What you cannot do is carry out the prescribed works for the partial or plenary indulgence um, and apply it to another living person. Why? Because they're still living, they can merit for their own still, and they got to work out their own salvation. I want to encourage you, Aaron, to look at the section in the Catechism on indulgences, uh, namely paragraph number 1471 in the Universal Catechism, which comes right after that 1469, two paragraphs after 1469, which talks about the four categorical consequences of sin, personal, social, ecclesial, and cosmic, that we see time and again in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so remember, when our Lord died, look at it this way, when a husband dies, he leaves everything, everything, everything in his entire will, his legal will. He leaves everything to his bride, his wife. This is what Christ did. So again, this is what the catechism means when it says, uh, an indulgence is the remission before God of the temporal punishment due to sin whose guilt has already been forgiven. A properly disposed member of the Christian faithful can obtain an indulgence under certain prescribed conditions through the help of the church, the bride of Christ, which as the minister of redemption dispenses and applies with her full authority the treasury of the satisfactions of Christ and the saints. How and why can the church do that? Because Christ left everything to her to do so. She was the chief beneficiary of the will of all the merits and treasuries won for us from his four-event, event, Paschal mystery, his passion, death, resurrection, ascension to heaven. So look at that section, the 1470s, 1460s of the Catechism, which, interestingly, interestingly enough, follows the section on sin, the reality of sin, both mortal and venial. So you have the section on sin, then you have the section on temporal punishment due to sin. Then you have, thirdly and lastly, the section on indulgences. There's a coherence there that, that the doctrines are laid out in that particular order. Does that help you out, Aaron? Yes, sir. Thank you. All right. You're welcome. God bless you, and thank you for your call today. All right, Father Wade, now you've done it. You've started an argument. Uh-oh. Amanda's in Peoria. It won't be the first time. <laughs> Amanda's in Peoria, Illinois, listening on Covenant Radio. Amanda, you're on with Father Wade. <laughs> Hello. Um, we were just wondering, I, it was my mom and I in the car. I had to drop her off at her appointment. But um, I, I think when you were answering the question earlier about going to a wedding of either one or two confirmed Catholics, whether they're practicing or not, outside of the church, when I was listening to your answer, I kind of thought that it was, it was, um, it was like, you know, there's some color to that. It depends on, you know, the situation. But she was kind of thinking, you know, is there a black and white answer? She thought you were kind of saying no, that you can't. Yeah. It, the question to ask with this particular couple who's invited you to the wedding is, if, at the end of the day, will it be a valid wedding before Almighty God? Because if it's not then what will be taking place that evening is fornication, sexual relations between the unmarried. If one of them has a prior spouse that they're civilly divorced from, and they get married to the second spouse outside of the church, it's an invalid marriage. And that means that night, at the end of the day, when they get into bed, it's adultery. That's two simple questions. At the end of the day, is it valid or not? Have they had prior spouses valid or not? Because if they have, then the second spouse is not valid, 
And it can be a species of adultery, if not direct adultery. It could be a species of fornication, if not direct fornication. So our goal is, whatever their situation is, maybe he's been married before, she's never been married before. Maybe vice versa, she's been married before, but he's never been married before. Maybe none of them have ever been married before. There's no prior spouses. The fact is, in all three of those scenarios that I just mentioned, they're all getting married without a proper dispensation by the Catholic party's bishop. Without the proper dispensation, it's technically invalid, which means at the end of the day, it will be invalid. And either fornication or adultery will be taking place. And my goal as a priest is to lead people away from sin, not to lead people into sin. Your goal as a baptized Catholic, and hopefully one that has also received the sacrament of confirmation, and hopefully receives Eucharist regularly and, and confession regularly yourself, your goal is to lead others to heaven and not into sin or into further sin. Just like my call as a priest is to do the same exact thing. I'm going to have to answer one day before God, especially as a priest, but this is something that can be said about all baptized Catholic confirmed Christians. I will have to stand before God one day and give an account for those who I confirmed in their sin, mortal and venial, and those who I helped lead out of their sin, mortal and venial. And I want to work on that now and do the appropriate thing now. That's my goal. So uh, hopefully that'll help you out in your discernment of whether or not you can go to the, to the wedding or not. Uh, and, and remember, like I told our first caller on this subject earlier in the hour, you want to be able to privately and charitably uh, witness to them, say, hey, I, I know you're planning to get married outside, uh, are, are you aware that, that you would need a proper dispensation, number one, to, to marry outside the church? Number two, are you aware that the church doesn't permit outdoor weddings? Because I'm hoping that you'll have a grace-filled sacramental wedding at the end of the day, especially when you're asking me to attend. And uh, I'm going to have a hard time attending if knowing that this isn't pleasing before God according to the teachings of our baptized faith as Catholics. So you want to be able to charitably... Uh, privately and charitably witness to the bride or groom and guide them in making the appropriate decision. And if they choose to still do what they're going to do outside the church, at least you've done your part. You, you can stand before God on your day of your particular judgment and say that I, I did witness to my friend. I did try to get them to marry in a grace-filled sacramental marriage. And our Lord will look at you and say, yes, you did. You did try to do that. Well done, good and faithful servant. Um, so that's my goal, both as a priest, is to lead others to get out of sin, not lead themselves into further sin. And the same for you as a laywoman, uh, a baptized, confirmed laywoman, uh, to do the same thing. God bless you. Thank you so much for your call. We really appreciate it. Just about a minute left, Father Wade, so I'm going to ask Debbie's question for her. She said her mom is 86 and has become very forgetful. She doesn't remember her family, and she wants to know if this will hinder her reception of the last rites. No, not at all, because in that case, when they can't even make an auricular confession, um, the, the anointing of the sick, which is one of the five elements of the last rites, doubles as confession. So if they're non-sui mentis, not of their own mind, let's say they're in a coma because of a car accident, they have all kinds of apparatus on them, or because of old age, they're non-auricular, like your mother. Um, they're non-auricular, they're not of their own mind. In that case, when they receive the last rites, uh, which cons uh, totally means five parts of it, uh, one of them is confession, that one wouldn't have to be received, so you're talking about four elements now, the last rites. And one of those four is the anointing of the sick, which doubles as confession when the person is non-auricular or non-sui mentis. 
Father, would you leave us with a blessing? I certainly will, Jack. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners and remain with each and every one of you this day and always. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us on behalf of our host, Father Wade Menezes, our producer, Michael McCall, our call screener, Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams once again coming to you live from the 141st Supreme Convention of the Knights of Columbus. Be sure to support your knights on a local level. Until we get together next time, God bless. God bless.